Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hello, and welcome to Where Are We? Basic Folk. We sure are, Cindy Lou. Who? First of all, let me just get this stuff all out of the way, and then we can get into our nonsense. So Basic Folk is a podcast featuring honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. I'm not telling this to my co-host Lizzie, no. I'm telling it to you, dear listener. Thank you for being here. We are... Elated to be welcoming Sam Beam of Iron and Wine onto Basic Folk. Before we get into that, let's talk about our newsletter. Are you on it? You should be on the newsletter. It's the place to be. You can sign up for it at the link in the show notes, or you can go to basicfolk.com and, and you can click the red sign up for the newsletter button. We're also on social media at Basic Folk Pod, Instagram, Facebook. Guess what, Lizzie? What? We're on TikTok. We're on TikTok. What are we up to on there? Well, we're posting vids of our podcast interviews, so it's a good place to keep up with us. The animations that Shelby has been making to accompany our episodes are so dope. Mm-hmm. The TikTok is is actually popping. Shout out to Shelby, creative director at the Bluegrass Situation, and basically our other best friend. Shelby's so great. Hey, Shelby. Hey, Shelby. Wait, I was going to talk about something. When we first started recording, what were you talking about? Um, we were talking about the Grammy nominations that just came out today. Oh, I mean, right. as we're recording, they just came out today. Yeah, we were looking at the Grammy nominations, and we fell asleep looking at them, actually. But congratulations yeah. if you were nominated. If you were nominated, congratulations. Especially my friend, Pat Dillette, who is a producer on my new album, Havsies, and is nominated this year for Best Engineered Album, Classical. I have a retraction I need to make or a correction I need to make. During the Caroline Cotter interview, I made the mistake of saying that Joni Mitchell covered a Tom Rush song, when in fact, it's the other way around. Tom Rush covered a Joni Mitchell song, because Tom Rush was f- famous before Joni Mitchell. Do we need to cancel the podcast? I was thinking about it. That's one of those wake up at three o'clock in the morning and be like, wait a minute. Oh, no. That's the noise I made exactly. What else is happening, Lizzie? So much, and and it's all now just left my mind. I've been doing a lot of work with Abortion Care Tennessee. Donate to an abortion fund, you guys. Getting ready to release an album. Mm -hmm. Like, finally, back Mm -hmm. in the swing of sharing new music. When this podcast comes out, I will be about to release the last single from my new album, Havesies. Oh, that's awesome. Is it coming out this week? It's coming out in December, the, be- okay. the very beginning of December. Not January? Okay, I think it's time we settled this once and for all. Okay. Cindy believes that I have a funny accent mm-hmm. because I say things like January. January. <laughs> I refuse to be belittled and roasted on my own damn podcast. Can I take this phone call while we're recording? I would love that. Should I pause my recording? All right, hang on. I'm going to keep recording while Cindy's on the phone. I'm here to say that my name's Lizzie No, and I'm not exactly scheming to take over the podcast, but like that might be the natural course of things. And I just want to put some feelers out. Like, how would you guys feel if I became the primary host and Cindy actually became my employee? Think about it. I just took a phone call from someone who was giving me their email. And it was like their first first initial and their last name. And the first initial was C. And I said, okay, and what's your first name? And she said, Kitty. 
Okay, that's too confusing. It's way too confusing. Well, then we had a really confusing conversation where I was like, wait, it's Kitty with a C or with a K? And then she's like, well, my name is Catherine. With a C. With a C. And I was like, right, but is it Kitty with a K (laughs) or with a C? And then I feel like she was doing something else at the same time because I cannot imagine if your name is Catherine with a C and you go by Kitty that you haven't had this – and your email address is – See your last name. No, no. That you haven't had this conversation. It's too confusing. Right. Change your email, Kitty. Or just be prepared to be like Kitty with a K. Right. Like have have a little blurb prepared. I do it. Lizzie with an IE. The thing that people struggle with about my name is if I go, they go, what's your name? And I go, Cindy. And they're like, okay, Sydney. And I'm like, this is literally a nightmare. It's Cindy. Here's what I was about to talk about at the beginning of the podcast that I forgot. So the Handsome Pod is this podcast with uh, May Moore, Tig Notaro, and Fortune Feimster. They're all comedians, and they're all hilarious. So funny. And they were talking about Cindy's and how they wanted – they were like, we don't know that many Cindy's. May's like, I've never met a Cindy. They were like, Cindy's right in. So I did. You wrote I, in? I wrote in, but I didn't I didn't hear anything back from them. Okay, well, it's not too late. Let's start a like a groundswell of our listeners reaching out to them. If you also listen to the Handsome Pod or if you know any of the Handsomes, please hook a Cindy up. Hook a Cindy up. Oh, I'm so glad I remembered that. Now we can move on to our very special guest today. Dude, I'm so excited about this guest. I love their music. And I have become friends with them as a human being. And I'm delighted to report that Sam Beam is just as wonderful of a person as Iron and Wine is wonderful as an artist. The hype is real. The hype is real. Long before the world knew about Iron and Wine, and even before Sam Beam was known as a musician, He thought of himself as an artist and just a person who likes to make things. Growing up in Columbia, South Carolina, he told me that like his parents didn't always understand him, but they always supported him and kept him well supplied in drawing paper. And pretty much every day after school, he would come home and draw and make things and making crafts, making visual art is still something that inspires him and keeps his brain like enthusiastic to this day. As he started writing his own songs and getting really immersed in the recording process, he didn't think of himself as much as a performer. But flash forward to today, live performance is a huge part of what makes Iron and Wine so special. And we got a chance to talk about how performance and the real-time experience with audiences has influenced Sam's songwriting and craft for the better. The other really interesting angle that I was excited to explore with Sam Beam is that he has only ever had one manager in his entire career. And that manager is my manager. Oh. Oh, so in a way we're like second cousins, musically, or half-siblings even. I asked how Sam met Howard and... As the story goes, Sam was just starting to like have things take off for him as Iron and Wine. And he went to Howard Reynolds, who at the time had a label called Overcoat Records, and asked if Howard wanted to sign him. In a sort of selfless and life-changing moment, Howard said, you know, I don't think you should sign with me. I think you should sign with Sub Pop because they have more resources. And that let Sam know that he was talking to someone who really had his best interests at heart and wasn't just out to make a buck. So he and Howard have had like a really fascinating working relationship for about 20 years now and have become family. And I was really appreciative of how transparent and thoughtful Sam was when talking about what makes a good working relationship, what he looks for in collaborators, and how that extends to the way that he's working as a band leader now. He has this incredible documentary coming out called Who Can See Forever? It started off as a concert film, but the director kind of pushed Sam to let the people in a little bit more. Sam is notoriously private, and he hasn't really done anything like this before, where he's 
talked quite a bit about his life and process alongside videos of him and his band performing songs from throughout his catalog. You're going to love the documentary if you love Iron and Wine. I think you're going to really like this conversation because it shows Sam's silly and thoughtful side. And it's a great retrospective on a lot of the experiences that have made him the songwriter that he is today. We're going to take a listen to a song uh, from the documentary that is also a live album. Thomas County Law is what we're going to check out. And then we will get to our conversation with Iron and Wine on Basic Folk. Traffic light is red when it tells the truth. The church bell is in Canton when it cries for you. Nobody looks away when the sun goes down. Thomas County Road takes you where it will. Someone's singing on the far side over the hill And there's nowhere safe to bury all the time I've killed Sam Beam, a.k.a. Iron and Wine, thank you for coming on Basic Folk. Thank you for having me, Lizzie. It's good to see you again. You too. We're glad to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Um, I want to talk a lot about the documentary sure. you can see forever. Okay. Um, you start the doc by talking about your childhood upbringing. Uh, you grew yeah. up in Columbia, South Carolina. That's right. Your mom was a teacher. Your dad worked for state government. That's so right. So, do you feel like you grew up with a sense of identity that was tied to being a Carolinian person? Uh, I guess. I mean, I didn't really think about it at the time. I didn't really think about, <laughs> you know, that was my, that was the only reality that I knew. Um, yeah. Uh, I was definitely into music and comic books and whatever, you know, whatever was going on. I like to swim. I don't know. I didn't really think about it in terms of like, it, only afterwards when I started, you know, left that I realized that it was different than other people's upbringing. <laughs> Can you give an example of that? Uh, I didn't realize how religious it was until I stepped oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, one of those things. Um, and just also how uh, quiet and peaceful it was. Because I, I really I mean, I grew up in a suburb, but we also moved um, later out to the country a bit. And my grandparents lived out in the country. So I had a lot of nature time. Do you feel like you still need a lot of nature time to feel like yourself. Is that something that was planted early? Uh, yeah. I don't know how much the planting plays out later, but it definitely suits my personality. <laughs> <You know? laughs> definitely worked out for the best that I had uh, that time as a kid. And um, I definitely need like a recharge time. I mean, yeah. I love going to New York or wherever and hanging out and doing those things. But I also it's like... It's the greatest city in the world. It's like a big giant adult playground. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you have money. <laughs> if yes. you don't, it's not quite as fun. It's getting, but it's getting you can worse. have like a scrappy good time. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah, I yeah. like to do like a almost like a scavenger hunt. Like how much fun can I have there's by a, spending no money? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to do um, in that way too. There's yeah. just a lot of nooks and crannies and so much history there. Um, but uh, yeah, I do. I definitely need a little recharge time there. Well, I was interested in something that you said Uh in the film about your parents and your creativity growing up you said that you didn't feel understood but you always felt supported yeah I I was wondering if you could say a little more about how that dynamic kind of played into your early creativity and if you feel like it affected how you look at like acceptance now like the degree to which you care if people approve of you or like your music or just perception? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I didn't think about it much at the time. 
um, I definitely felt different than them. But they all, it was always kind of, you know, parents always kind of looking for what's their kid's thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> what's my child's brand? Yeah, exactly. Or what's your <laughs> thing so I can help you, you know, support you in it. And that was the thing that they zeroed in on pretty early. And so they were always, um, you know, really supportive. They were like, you know, there was always a stack of drawing paper in my room. Or, mm. You know what I mean? That kind of yeah. stuff. Um, and so I never felt like it was weird. It wasn't until, you know, as you grow up and you, yeah, you're starting to like try to be cool and hang out with different people. And you realize some people think you're weird because you don't play football or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, when I was trying to fit in different circles, it, I felt different. Um, I never felt like I was wrong. I just felt like, okay, well, we're different. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> uh, I loved it. I loved doing art. My best friends were in my art classes, you know, and that was my favorite thing to do when I went home after school, um, was draw. Uh, but, yeah, I guess, uh, and I think as I got older, it just sort of continued. I mean, I definitely feel like there are jobs that are more important as far as like putting food in people's mouths and right. things like that. But I also think it's a very important thing for people to be able to express themselves and anyone can do it. You just mm -hmm. um, have to um, not listen to those inner critics quite as loud. It's really hard, but you just have to enjoy the act of doing something creative, whether it's working on a song or working on a drawing or whatever. Mm -hmm. This brings me to another comment I found interesting in, oh, yeah. in your documentary was which is that you carry a notebook around yeah you have a you know well of ideas that can that can be drawn <laughs> on at any time and you said that your policy is that you just write it down and don't don't judge it um yeah how did you come to an evolved understanding <laughs> of your own inner critic and do you try to apply that concept of non-judgment elsewhere in your uh, life uh yeah I think so. I try to. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you, we're all just we're all just kind of fumbling around trying to figure out the right thing to do. We never know. Not me uh, though. I know. <laughs> you know <laughs> I've got it no, all figured out. <laughs> Lizzie no knows. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just you know my most frustrating times when I'm trying to shape something too much, where you're like too busy shaping mm -hmm. it too early, and it's like not it's not going where you want it to go, and it's not. And I realized like a lot of my favorite moments are when you're surprised by something mm -hmm. that you didn't know that you could. And oftentimes it had to do with just looking back on a notebook and finding a line that you forgot about doing and mm -hmm. didn't really think about. It. And it could be garbage, but it just it makes you think of something else. Um, just jogging your brain into spitting something out. Um, and so... Uh, Part of it was through that process, and that took a long time. It wasn't really like a um, something you sort of have to recognize your own patterns. Um, mm -hmm. But I definitely like had a little uh, experience along the same lines of in like art school and stuff. Where you know they were like keeping a, a sketchbook where you kind of scribble stuff and maybe discover something that you want to develop later. Um, and so it's not too terribly a, a new practice for me, but. It's mm -hmm. definitely been helpful. It's really hard. I mean, because, you know, we don't want to, or at least me personally, I don't like, you know, waving my dirty laundry around. <laughs> and so I like to have something very polished um, when I present it. And so to let loose um, and just free associate or just dip and try to mm -hmm. dip into some other subconscious or unconscious, you know, it's impossible, mm -hmm. but you, you do our best. Um, and just have it unfiltered is really hard. That's the hardest part of it all, really. How do you think you can get there? Like, do you have like a mindfulness practice? Are you someone that meditates? Uh, not, I don't have like a discipline about it, but I do feel like just the the practice of writing or sitting to write is, is kind of a, starts out as a mindfulness project, project but then kind of goes yes. elsewhere. <laughs> um but yeah, it's better of tricking yourself <laughs> for yeah. the most part. <laughs> no one's looking. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't have a. I used to be really disciplined about it. You know, I think I have, I have a lot of children, and um, 
when they were young, I had to take them to school. You know, they're all a bit older now, so I don't have to. I don't have quite as many responsibilities that with them day day to day. Yeah, older kids are the shit. Good job. Yeah, <laughs> he made it. Yeah, exactly. They're still alive. Um, uh, but when I had to take them to school, so I only had so much time in the day, so I really had to be pretty disciplined. And you know, some days were better than others, but you had to had to put the time in. And now it's kind of when I feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's the dream, the yeah. one I feel like it schedule. Yeah. Um, you've said that performance is like that. What originally drew you to making art was making something and then polishing it up mm-hmm. to share. Yeah. And that a live performance is the opposite of that. Yeah. Can you like say what you mean by that and how like performance fits into your craft, even though it's not something that you can polish up perfectly? Oh, uh, sure. Um, over the years, I've learned how much a performance um, can really make the best part of a, of a recording. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that in the moment, not necessarily improvised, but like in the moment, not just playing the notes, um, but interpreting the song. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's a performance, like an actor or anybody does, or, or even if it's your own story, and you're like, this is the moment right. for you to tell it. It's, a, it's an act of performing something. Um, uh, my natural inclination is, yeah, to create something, look at it, develop it, change it, develop it till it's something that I find mm-hmm. is more interesting than my initial just thought, which <laughs> is yeah. usually easy to do. <laughs> uh, and that's the, that's the part of making things that I like. And that's the opposite of, of doing a performance, which is right. in the moment, it starts and it ends, and that's what it was. And that's the beauty of it. Um, uh, so when I started making records um it was just me uh at the house doing track on track on track and track you know overdubbing each one mm-hmm. um and it has you know it has charm to it the sound has a charm but it's definitely not the same as like a group of people in a room creating something from nothing it's it's kind of it's a different feel um and they both have their they both have their value but i feel like now it's, um, I'm really pursuing in recording, trying to find some kind of life in, in like you said, the performance. Um, I, I saw there was like a, a big star documentary. Have you seen this thing on Netflix? <laughs> it's pretty great. They're amazing. But one of the producers, um, Jim Dickinson, described producing records as trying to get you know, a group of musicians to all float in their chairs at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the feeling, you know, when you listen to a track that is, that feels alive, um, it is, it feels like magic. And so, and it's really hard to describe or like, you know, really put a list of this. Is, it doesn't have like a checklist. You just know it when you hear it. <laughs> right. But. Can you talk about that particular feeling with this band that we're seeing on um, the documentary and on the live album? Like, how did you choose, like, it feels like a really important task for somebody who's really grounded in, like, the recording process right. and that polishing process. Like, yeah. it feels very important how you choose the crew that's going to do the live yeah. album. Yeah, yeah, you have to have people who enjoy improvising. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, but it's not like we're, you know, making up songs, you know, from scratch every night. It's no. not like they're just creating music. We're improvising within a framework. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like most of the what I do now is do the shaping and the going back and developing something in the writing process. That's okay. kind of where I get that, that part of my personality does what it needs to do. <laughs> and then the rest is, um, just finding people that I, that make me happy with the mm-hmm. sounds that they make. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's what this group was. I mean, there were a bunch of crazy people that make beautiful sounds not all beautiful, but also, but just expressive sound. They're yeah. all like this expressive way of interpreting my music, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of egos and just a lot of support and just good peoples. And so it makes you feel like being, for me, being feeling supported and being feeling free to share any idea 
uh, is what gives me the confidence and the feeling that I can go and, and improvise these performances and mm -hmm. make them feel alive. And so that group was, was a great group for that. love about the the whole live album is how like it's exhilarating the 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 rhythmic movement that the band gets yeah, into right. um and also the the vocal arrangements are like just super memorable like Good. how do you um and co your collaborators work to find like that iron and wine oh. vocal arrangement like Talk about that process a little bit. Uh, well, I mean, some of them are based on, well, a lot of them start with what was on the record. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's several records at this point. Um, so we have a lot of different Yeah, you've, got a, of you've got a few <laughs> things out there. You're really, on a, you're really on a roll. I think your career is going to work out. <laughs> yeah. What notes are left to play? It's one that we're not played yet. Um, uh so there's lots of material to choose from. You know, you're, mm -hmm. it's not like you have to do, you can try to pick stuff that sounds, you know, as different as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, you know, it's just fun to have people who like to sing. <laughs> yeah. It makes it easy. Uh, and I, I love melody. I mean, I feel like I always just sort of start with the melody and just we start to yeah. support it with other sounds after that. Um, and so... Uh, sometimes the vocal arrangements have more of a jazz R&B thing. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. more um, hymn, churchy. You know, it just depends. Mm -hmm. Some is more classical. Um, it just depends on what the songs are, are doing. Um, but the girls were never short of ideas. We found that, you know, them singing in unison was a its own thing and then when they would just sort of jump in on like a harmony line with right. me every now and then it was its own different kind of accent to what we were doing and another fun thing was like when we want to change the key to a song i would just sing the harmony line and they could sing like the main melody oh, line that, that people would recognize and they would just sort of flip the song upside down and i could sort of improvise um harmony stuff it, you know it's just it's like a group of people who enjoy improvising enjoy but also enjoy the songs mm -hmm. have faith in the songs and then can kind of play whatever underneath you can play rhythm or you can play right. like emotional support like just sort of like more of like um contemporary classical music mm -hmm. you know or soundtrack kind of music which is pretty much the same thing <laughs> yes yes i have a so i i wanted to go back to what you were saying about um kind of flipping the to a harmony part yeah. and changing a song right in that way but while like keeping the integrity of it you have really dedicated fans that have been following you for a long time yeah. do you ever feel like you get a weird reaction when you change a song in in the live setting do you feel <laughs> like a loyalty or like any any sort of a pull to try to keep things the same like how do you negotiate like what people expect from you after right several albums versus like trying to make it fresh yeah well you have to remember you can't keep everyone happy there's okay. no way <laughs> so some people are going to be bummed no matter what you do mm -hmm. some people are going to be happy no matter what you do and most right. of them be sort of in between um uh i think you just have to owe it to yourself you know you have to be engaged mm -hmm. um i feel like I also feel like there are certain songs that people are more attached to that if you yeah. fuck with them, then you're in trouble. Um, is this a, can we curse on this podcast? Of course. Okay, great. Fuck yes. Um, you can, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> you can make a speech. <laughs> you can plug your new cool. uh, pyramid scheme. Cool. Cause I've been working on new curse words. That's going to try out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll see. Slip them in. Um, but I feel like there's definitely certain songs that people feel a bit more attached to that are, mm -hmm. and then ones that they don't care what you, what you do. Um, uh, but it's hard to tell, you know, when you're in the middle mm -hmm. of playing one, it's, you're really just in the middle of playing one. You can yeah. sort of be aware of how people are reacting, but you're not like looking at, at everyone's face. Like, how's that guy enjoying this? Or yeah. how's she <laughs> you're just sort of doing it and hoping for the best. It's, it's pretty intuitive actually. Mm -hmm. 
I wanted to know a bit about the set design for this oh, yeah. show. Yeah, like your you class. went to film school. You're very, you're very in I'm, tune with the visuals around so, yeah. your music. So filmy. Um, it is filmy. I, I, uh, I don't know. I just always like clouds. I think because mm-hmm. I, I grew up in a in a pretty wooded area, like dense woods uh and i didn't realize how claustrophobic i always felt until i moved out west and i was like man this guy is incredible um and then um and so i always did spend a lot of time drawing and painting clouds as Mm -hmm. a kid um and so they've always i've always enjoyed them it's a fun way to as long as the backdrop and the clouds are cooperating you can sort of change the the sky like with every song and so it was just a fun 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 way to do stagecraft can be really really interesting and cool yeah what's like the what's the biggest risk you've taken in terms of stagecraft and set design and visuals like over your tours um i mean honestly i don't feel like i've taken a lot of risks i haven't tapped into it enough over the years it was just something i I think originally i was just so concentrated on what the music was that i didn't really really think about it like Mm -hmm. are there lights cool um (laughs) (laughs) can they turn the lights on (laughs) and i think um i also had like you know most of my friends are like punk rockers but Mm -hmm. and they come with a little attitude and big ideas and someone along the way told me like if you're if i feel like like what you're doing on stage isn't enough to catch their attention if you need like a big screen or you need like fancy light show then you're doing something wrong And and something in my punk rocker brain was like yeah yeah. I, think it, I think it's not true, though. Over the years, I've like <laughs> wasted a bunch of opportunities to, co- to do really cool, interesting things. That, you mm-hmm. know, it was just the people not wanting to have fun. And so I decided to have fun. So Yeah, that anti-fun attitude. Lame. It'll be the death of art. Definitely death of fun. Um, How do you keep things fun, like, on a long tour? Because I feel like, I mean, mm-hmm. after th- these years, you have to find a way to not just, like, clock in and clock out. Right, yeah. Well, it depends on what do you consider a long tour. Mm, I think if I don't see my family for more than a month or so uh, without a break. Yeah. See, I never did that long. Yeah. I did one month-long tour, and I thought I was going to lose my mind. And yeah. so I never did it again. <laughs> that tour that we did last year. Yeah. For me, was the beginning of like a two. I was out for like two Long. months at least. Oh my god! I thought I was gonna pass away. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you didn't, but I yeah. definitely know what Thanks you're talking so about. <laughs> I'm glad that we got to hang out at the beginning of it because if you'd seen me at the <laughs> poor Adia Victoria, really got the dregs of my humanity. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what hard. day is it? I don't know who can survive. It's too long. Yeah. It's too long. But so I don't go out for very long, and 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 outside of that, I just sort of try to make sure you get outside of the venue, you know, take a long walk or whatever you do. I I bring a paint set and just spend mm. time like drawing or whatever in the back room. But you know, we all have our little survival techniques. What's the most fun tour you've ever done? Oh, I don't know. You know, it depends. They're all they're all so different. Depends on who you're with, mostly. Who do you like to go out with? cool people that are really fun. That's funny. what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of cool people, I have a really important question that I probably should have asked you up top. Okay. There's someone super important that we need to talk about. Sweet. And it's the reason that we know each other. Oh, um, yeah. We have the same management. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Overcoat Management. Um, yeah. h- how did you meet Howard Grenolds? Howard Grenolds. Let's get the meet cute. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I did. I mean, um, I was, I had the, the songs for the first record all kind of done. And mm-hmm. I was talking to Sub Pop about putting them out. And I wasn't sure that that's what I should do. And my friend, uh, Ben Bridwell from mm-hmm. Band of Horses was talking to yeah. Howard about something or other, probably putting his band, you know, because Howard had, I'm sorry, I should let you know. Howard had a label called Overcoat mm-hmm. Records, so I I talked to Howard about putting out stuff, and it you know it was just him doing mm-hmm. his own like stuffing envelopes and putting records yeah. out. Um, and I talked to him about it. He really liked the music, 
Um, but he told me that I should probably go with Sub Pop because they had a bigger promotional budget. <laughs> and because That's I had a kids, good manager. So I had, because I had <laughs> kids, I wouldn't be able to tour as much as most people. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay. You know, you could take that as like, I don't want to deal with you. But I took yeah. it as, um, you know, being really up, up front in a, mm-hmm. and in a way that, you know, didn't necessarily help him out. Mm, uh, like yeah. He was looking out for me. And so we stayed in touch. I took his advice. <laughs> with Sub Pop Records. Um, and, this, um, and then uh, it was his idea to do, um, I did a record early on with Calexico called mm-hmm. In the Rains. And it, that was, Howard had kind of cooked that up. Like one yeah. of his ideas when we were talking about the early stuff was to go back in the studio and not release the home recorded stuff, but go back in the studio with Calexico as a backing band. It's like my own little southwestern Sly and Robbie. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, and so we had always been talking about doing it. And so we eventually um, got together and made that record. And, um, and at the time, things were kind of, you know, taken off for me in a way that I wasn't able to keep track of everything. You know, I needed help. And Howard... Um, was there putting out that record and we just started working um, ever since then. We started working then and have been ever since. That's powerful. A lot of relationships come and go in music. I mean, and in life, but I think this is an industry that can really test friendships. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. How have you like re of, I want, I imagine the goals that you have for yourself have changed. Yeah. Since that, you know, since those yeah, days yeah. and like, how have the two of you and how, how have you guys worked together to like update the goal setting and update like how you work together to like right. accommodate new needs in your life and new goals and, and the new like landscape right. of music or whatever. Right. Right. Um, that's a big question. I, I it's pretty intuitive. Um, you know, it's like any relationship. I mean, I mm-hmm. trust it, our relationship is a lot like a family kind of yeah. relationship. At this point, we've known each other and been working closely together for not most of our lives, but pretty close. I mean, wow. uh, for, you know, 20 years. And so that's a long, you know, any relationship, even if it's not a business relationship, it's like you have to figure out, right? navigate a lot of ebbs and flows and ups and mm-hmm. downs. And I feel like over the course of the looking back, it just really takes a lot of communication. You just have to mm-hmm. be really like brutally honest, brutally um, open. Um, when we've had trouble, looking back when we've had troubles, when one of us wasn't doing that. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's hard. That's hard too, because you don't always want to say what you have to say. It's hard yeah. because when you get close to people, um, you know, it gets difficult. It gets a little tricky. But um, as far as business goes and and honestly as far as like personal relationships goes that's always the best policy and so i don't know if that answers the question but it does that all i got (laughs) it does um i want to approach this from like another angle which is that you are a father of five daughters yeah i let's do a little little role play so (laughs) imagine that one of your daughters is like i want to follow in the path of dad. I want to be a singer songwriter. Right. How, what type of advice would you give them given all that has changed in the music industry and the singer songwriter landscape since you got started? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's never like a, any career in the arts is not like a, <laughs> something a parent's going to like, uh, like promote. <laughs> uh, you know, my, worried about them hat comes on i'm like well you know as long as you got another job at the same time that's awesome my hat where that i want them to just pursue what they are passionate about and whether it hurts or not that's going to say go for it kid do it do it Mm -hmm. and i think that's the one you have to i mean you have to wear both yes that's wrong with wearing two hats it looks weird but you can do it Hat on a hat. <laughs> That's right. That's right. One's forward, one's backwards. Oh my god! Um, another thing that you said in in these the course of these interviews with this documentary is that you're obsessed with the passage of time, 
and how it affects all relationships. Yeah. Um, Obsessed is a big word. I I think that you said it though. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Good. I had my, I had my thesaurus out. Yes. You're fixated. Yeah. Uh, Interested. Interested. Yeah. Interested. Intensely interested. So, okay. How is the passage of time affecting your relationship with yourself and your craft? Yeah. And the relationship between Sam and right. Iron and Wine? Um, you know, I, I think the time, it's just about stories. You know, I'd like to see where mm-hmm. the story goes. Yeah. You know, where you end up a place where you never thought you would. You can look back and... Um, I love, I mean, high school reunions can be pretty dark, but I always go to mine because it's just crazy to see where, oh, yeah. huh, interesting. You know, you just never know mm-hmm. where people are going to end up. Uh, I mean, as far as, mm, I don't know, my career, I mean, yeah, it's, it's wild to look back and try to remember where I was at, um, dipping my toe into, you know, music career, having no idea what I'm doing, no real goals or any, just any awareness, <laughs> self-awareness, uh, just being into it and just seeing where the wind blew. Um, I mean, to a certain extent, I'm still doing the same thing right. <laughs> on a good day, but um, it's definitely kicking the I just never thought it would last so long. I think mm-hmm. I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know. What did you think that you would turn to as your, like, you know, backup Oh, job, you're, career you're, path. You're assuming that I had a backup plan. I okay. Like okay. Nice. Okay. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Honest uh, conversations with yeah. folk musicians. That's yeah. our tagline. Yeah. 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 Uh, backup plans. Yeah. Those are for responsible people. <laughs> for thought if you were not a musician, what do you think you would be doing as a uh, job? Well, I mean, when I started doing it, I was teaching at a film school. I would probably be doing okay. it. Either yeah. working in film somewhere, or, mm-hmm. or maybe not. I don't. I have no idea. That's what I was doing to make a buck at, during the when I started. And if it hadn't taken off, I imagine I would still be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever keep in touch with any of your students? Yeah. Uh, not so much the students, but some of my uh, fellow teachers and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the That's students great. will pop up at a, at a show or something. Yeah. Wow! Too. Like I knew you in a past life. Yeah. It's pretty wild. One of my favorite things about your songs in particular is that there's always a really healthy balance between imagination, images, and emotional directness. Oh, okay. So... What I want to know is, how do you edit your songs? Like, how do you go from like I have an idea to this is a song that's going to mean someone something to someone, hopefully. Oh uh, well, I can say that I've never thought the second part. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I mean, I don't know how to change it to make it important to people. You know, what I mean, right. I can make it important to me, and mm-hmm. hopefully, our shared experience is close enough where they'll also right. find it. Um, but I feel like when I start to try to anticipate what people are going to get from it, it, mm-hmm. it just starts to shut down, you know? Yeah. Um, but are there other like sort of North stars that you use to hone? Cause I imagine you could start out with like so many different images that could describe a particular experience or right. so many different meanings to assign to an image. How do you like pare it down such that it like creates right. a, a, a cogent story? You know, I wish I could say that I had these thoughts <laughs> that I ever actually thought about these things when I was doing it, but I gotta say I don't. I just there are definitely some technique craft kind of things that I lean into in editing. Mm-hmm. Like let's get a good verb in here somewhere. Verbs right. are more important than you know adjectives, stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, fuck an adjective. Fuck an adjective. That's right. I feel about adjectives the way your punk friends feel about um, <laughs> visuals. Like if you have to rely on a lot of adjectives, you yeah. probably don't have something powerful to say. I agree. I mean, I just don't think they're as interesting. You know, it feels like it feels like coercion rather than yeah. description. Because it's a giveaway. Like, here's how I want you to think about 
this thing right. that I'm presenting. Right, right, right. Um, but as far as uh, I don't really have like a, a cohesive thought that I'm trying to interpret. I just sort of, mm-hmm. honestly, you sort of, my process is usually messing around the guitar, fooling around, come mm-hmm. up with a melody and start singing gibberish. And mm-hmm. a word. Oh, really? Will, just like nonsense words? Yeah. You're just humming along, scatting, and just like so. And then eventually a word pops out, you know, out of nowhere. And you're like, huh, let's see where that goes. And you start to attach other words and sort of leapfrog off of little phrases that come up. I mean, sometimes a phrase will come up at random and, it'll, and you can throw it into a melody and it'll work. But usually they come straight out of a melody. Um, mm. And that's and then I start and then I play a little game, you know. You start to play a game with like, what could this, what could the next line of this be, or what mm-hmm. could this be setting up, or what could be supporting that line? What, and you're usually trying to surprise yourself. Like, um, I feel like sometimes too direct a line of thought. I'm a you, know, I think of myself as the audience. I'm ahead of like the song already. The song is just going into a dead end and I don't want it to Mm -hmm. go there. I want it to branch into another series of branches, Mm -hmm. you know, and see where you end up. Um, And so it's a game you play with trying to entertain yourself. Um, (laughs) It's a ridiculous way to make a living. (laughs) I know. I I feel the same way. I feel so embarrassed sometimes by the, like, yeah. Play the play these yeah. little rhymes I came up with <laughs> yeah. in front of people. Yeah. But at the moment when you're working on it, it's like the most important thing. Like, yeah, it's ever. better than any drug. Yeah. I mean, I haven't tried all the drugs, but you should check them out. I've I've heard about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> any day now. <laughs> Mom, if you're listening, I was that was a joke. I would never try any drug. Um, speaking of guitars, what are your favorite guitars to write? on uh i have a little nylon string acoustic mm-hmm. guitar okay that's what i've always had um i definitely the same lo- guitar that for like throughout your career no but always like i had one as a teenager and so that's mm-hmm. kind of what i go to is sort of you know the sitting around noodling, right. just just brainstorming kind of sound that i'm used to yeah how do you think that guitar preference has influenced like your discography and like how people would describe your sound uh like does it affect how you sing and how you write uh yeah i think so i mean just the sound that comes out you know is very different than you know just hitting lightly on a electric guitar or, mm-hmm. you know or a piano percussive percussive piano sound um yeah i mean it's hard to describe exactly how it affects the lyrics but it definitely definitely informs them for sure i mean there was a there was a while where i was composing on piano and those yeah those songs feel different they feel Mm -hmm. i don't know and also there's you know if i'm playing fooling around like a standard tuning versus like an open tuning those songs tend to be different as well right yeah do you consider yourself a folk artist i guess so i don't know i'm kind of tired of fighting it What does what does folk music mean to you? And I'm asking not in the sense of like we need to come up with a reliable definition, but in the sense that like on the basic folk podcast, I like to see how many different definitions can we come up with and what does it mean to the people who are actually working in it? Yeah, I mean, I I find it limiting, but I also Mm -hmm. understand it. I get it. It's fine. I don't mind it. (laughs) I just never. What's limiting about it? Uh, well, because all these genre labels are a way of, you know, organizing things so they could so they can be sold. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, it makes the record store easy to navigate, which I get. Right. It. I, I take advantage of that when I'm in mm-hmm. them. Um, as far as like my process of writing a song, it never comes into like, well, this is far too jazzy to to right. finish. I must pull it back to a folk area you know i never think about yeah. those things but at the same time i bristle at it being limited to what people's conception of the records and you know the, there's a there's a history to you know folk 
music has a sound that people associate right. with like you know certain type certain artists and things and i'm happy to say yes and mm -hmm. <laughs> that yeah. kind of a thing oh but, i like that way of looking at it because i there's just like there's there's such a dope tradition right of like what it means to be a folk artist yeah yeah and it's like okay but you're not only that right i mean on a generous day i feel like that term could mean like anything outside of like the classical tradition but i also right. feel like folk music borrows a lot from classical music it does <laughs> and so it's just a real nebulous term which again i, I never think about unless i'm in the record store yeah. <laughs> Or unless like someone's interviewing you and saying, what's your genre? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally understand why people feel like they need to classify things and organize things, but it mm -hmm. never comes up as far as my creative work. Um, I was asked a similar question recently and I want to pass it on to you because I think it's interesting. Hi uh, to the cosmic country folks in Chicago. Uh, yeah. um, what is your vision for like a more just and livable music industry. Like if you could like uh, s wave of a wand, like improve a handful of things or change a law, right. you know, or change how we work, what would you, what would you change? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we've all, most artists have gotten so accustomed to being screwed over for so long yeah. that we're kind of, <laughs> it feels right at home. I mean, I feel like for the longest time we were, griping about how it was so different now people weren't going to pay for for music and stuff where i feel like actually the the few decades where they figured out how to get paid for making records was the bubble that was right. the anomaly mm -hmm. and now we're back to like oh musicians or whatever um uh i mean i definitely feel like they need to get the streaming thing figured out mm -hmm. um i definitely understand how complicated it can be but i mean Someone's making money. Someone. Someone's always making money. <laughs> <laughs> someone's getting paid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not angry that someone's getting paid. I just want to be angry that's not me. <laughs> I would love, yeah. It would be cool if it would yeah. circle back around this way. Yeah, I mean, we've, yeah, we've beholden ourselves to the technology in a way where, um, you know, there's not a whole lot we can do. But right. at the same time, I feel like, you know, it has brought a, it has brought a importance back to live performance that people mm -hmm. understand um, and will pay for. Oh, interesting. Well, why do you, what, can you say more about that? How does, you're saying like the streaming era has brought a new importance to live yeah, performance? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think people, um, it used to be that you would do a concert to sell records and now you sell records right. to, to do a show. And I think right. people are, you know, it depends. I say that. But at the same time, people will show up to hear a DJ spin pre-recorded records. Right. Um, it's a it's a wild time where people are you know obsessed with their forms of entertainment in a way that I'm not. <laughs> it's true. I mean, seeing how competitive it was for people to get like Beyonce tickets yeah. this summer, and everyone was dressing in costume, and yeah, it feels like we are in a moment where we've collectively decided like it's the thing that we do together is go to concerts, yeah. which is kind of fun. That is super cool. Yeah. I mean, I definitely miss the days where, you know, there was a band in every other bar, you know, mm -hmm. whether they were playing loud or you were there to hear their music or they were right. just there being part of the thing. And also I think like recorded music has kind of decimated people, the, the history of people playing instruments together. You know right. what I mean? Or now mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you're going to a show to see someone do a performance or it's, mm. you know, there's, there's kind of a loss of like a, the canon of songs that everybody knew and would get together right. and sing and play together. You know, I mean, if that was happening down the street, I, I probably wouldn't go, but I also, right. <laughs> also, <laughs> I also can, <laughs> can appreciate what has been lost as far as community goes. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah I've, it used to be way more common for like a yeah. whole town to know yeah. a, a handful of songs and yeah. sing them together. Everybody had a guitar, there was a piano in yeah. most houses because people would sort of tinker around and sing because they didn't have a TV to watch or mm -hmm. whatever. I think those things have lost. As far as like a, but you know, we can't go back to that time. It's not like you no. can erase the history of recorded music. It's not going to happen. But no. I do feel like it's important for everyone to, to try to remember those times. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like if you, the, the, the little that I've dipped into like the bluegrass world, like proper bluegrass, I feel like there's still that spirit, yeah. but it's hard to, it's hard to find. I mean, it's hard and it, and it's space dependent. Yeah. No, like, I don't you have mean, to have shared spaces where you can sit yeah. for hours. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean that like it, it doesn't exist anywhere. There's like lots of genres where you can, you right, can see that, but it's just not, yeah, it's not like that's what people did. That's what everybody mm-hmm. did. Yeah. And they were they were bummed when the radio came about because then the people didn't play. You know, they were just sat around listening to the radio. You can read, you know, accounts of people, you know, decrying the radio is like the. <laughs> Wait till the, they the imagine if all. they found out of po- about podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the Deep idea breath. of like walking around a city with your headphones in, listening to people talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why would anyone listen to a podcast? because you're gonna get fired (laughs) i um have an ironclad contract basically (laughs) the details of which we'll reveal off mic (laughs) um okay wait i wanted to i want my person um, we're recording this, by the way. People uh, are going to hear this. <laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha. People are going to listen to this. I think. I think they're going to mm-hmm. listen to it. Okay, all right. So cool. just get ready for that reality. Uh, all right, cool. I want to address like a very common, um, like myth. Oh yeah. Not to say that it's not true, but just like it's a, a myth in mm-hmm. the story of Iron and Wine. Oh yeah. Which is that you <laughs> are shy and oh, reserved, yeah. and you don't like sharing with people. And with that myth in place, where did you like, hear this myth? I read it all the time. You read it all the all the time. Where? Anytime I read, <laughs> like when people profile you, they're like uh, the reserved Sandy. Uh, you know, uh, that's just, don't, don't you think that's to... one of your common descriptors? I just don't like journalists. That's all. Cool. Sweet. <laughs> That'll no, be the pull, pull quote for this podcast. <laughs> I do like them. I just, I just, I just immediately, I'm just kind of private. So immediately, yeah. immediately whenever I feel observed, I, I pull back. Oh yeah. But I'm, I'm warm, friendly. That, well, that we, we don't dispute. <laughs> kind of fuzzy. But with knowing that there's that perception of you and, and knowing that you're a private person. Yeah. <laughs> what went into your decision to make and release or like, or participate in and, yeah. and share a documentary about that's like, kind of like a, yeah, he, this is a, this is a genuine moment in my life. Like it's a very right. personal right. piece of art. How, how did you come to the decision to, sh- to share that? Well, I gotta be honest that my intention was to do a concert film. <laughs> oh, because I had this band, this cracking band that I loved, and I and I thought yeah. the clouds were fun. And I had a friend of mine has a venue that I had access to. We could just go mm-hmm. in and shoot whenever we wanted to. And so um, that was my that was kind of the extent of my idea of the project. And then I started talking to my friend Josh, who mm-hmm. does a lot of music videos. I, I mean, he does all kinds of stuff. And he was like, "Why don't we turn it into a film film?" Right. I was like, eh, "Okay." I mean, I, I didn't really want to do that, but, but he's nice and, you know, we're friends. And so it was pretty unassuming. Um, and I, I mean, I don't have a, again, I'm private and I know what I want to talk about. I know what I, what I don't want to talk about. So, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't ever going to get to a place where I was, you know, waving my underwear around. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, that's why we call it a portrait. It's not particularly in depth documentary okay. about Iron Wine or me, but it's a nice portrait of, you know, for fans who want to see where I live or want to see what I do in my spare time. Oh yeah. I used yeah. reverse Google image search to locate you? your oh, home yeah. address. Well, that's cool. Cause I've moved. I don't live there anymore. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> gotcha. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. Always one step ahead. Um, where I want to sort of like, end before we do a lightning round which i hope you'll be Uh, willing to do it's quick and it's fun is talking about spirituality so like you mentioned that when you left south carolina you then realized how religious it was and and you've said that you don't subscribe to like a traditional you know religion right um on the other hand you know 
there's there's spiritual as far as I can tell, there is spirituality in your work. Yeah. Um, you have a lyric that goes, "Fathers, sons, Holy Ghosts, they all come back, they all come close." Yeah. Do you have a feeling of what the divine is in your life? Uh, Do you sense it in the world? What, what, how does it show up for you? Uh, I mean, I think we all kind of have a concept that we you know, know something feels right or something feels mm-hmm. wrong uh, without getting into too, too moralistic about it or philosoph- sure. philosophic about it. Um, a lot of the biblical stuff that I use is because it's such a rich part of our culture, you know, they're, yeah. they're American songs. I mean, I don't, you know, they're not like, you know, America, um, but it's, uh, <laughs> the, you know, as a writer of a story, you need to know where your shit's taking place. You know, let's yes. have a setting. Um, the more specific, the better, whether it mm-hmm. exists in reality or not. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm, they all take place in America with mm-hmm. Americans in them. Um and so it's a it's a big part of where I grew up and it's a rich shared history. You know, these stories mm-hmm. have a lot of um characters that we all mm-hmm. sort of know what they represent. And so, you know, they're they're fun fodder to play with as a songwriter, you know, material wise. Like if you wanna, you know, describe you know, a car race and then say one of them's name is Cain and one of them's name is Abel. We know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and so, uh, but that's kind of the extent of where I put religion into a song. It's really not about spirituality. It's about religion mm. or the religious part of our, you know, a lot of people's shared experience. Um, uh, as far as spirituality, I mean, I definitely have a lot of, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to say. It depends on the song, really. You know, some sure. of them I feel are more spiritual in nature than, than others. Um, some are more, uh, you know, some are more specific than others. Some are a little bit more, not really obtuse, but they don't fill in all the blanks. Right. You know, um, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I approach it pretty intuitively. I mean, I don't, I'm not a religious person, but I've, and I don't really know how to classify my spirituality outside of that, you know, instead of saying I'm emotional person and I react Mm -hmm. to my environment and um, react to my spiritual connection with my friends and the things that I love and the Mm -hmm. things that I love to do. Um, And they all end up in, in the songs. Sure. One way or another. Thank you for sharing of your life and, your work on basic folk. I'm so pumped that we, we finally got you on here. It's great to be here. Thanks for talking to me, Lizzie. Of course. Well, are you willing to answer a few rapid fire questions? The only rule is like, don't think too hard. Don't ask for clarification. Just like the wrong person. then. (laughs) I'll try. I'll try. We're going to keep, we're going to, I run a tight ship. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. You're not above. How fast are you talking? You're not above the law. Um, I don't know. As fast as something can come to your mind. All right. Okay. okay. What was the last movie you saw and loved? Oh, me and the kids watched Beetlejuice the other day. Oh, yeah. For Halloween. It was great. Again. Such a good movie. <laughs> what is the perfect time of day to write a song? For me personally, I work better in the morning. But that's just me. What is the best age to be? <laughs> Uh, pass. <laughs> okay. Okay. If a deli approached you, um, like a, a really well-stocked deli with all possible ingredients uh, approached you and, and asked you to create the Sam Beam <laughs> signature sandwich, what uh, would it be? Do you mean like a deli or like a sub shop? What are we talking about? A sub shop. Oh. A hoagie place. I'm from New Jersey. A hoagie shop. Oh, hoagie shop. Um, are we eating like healthy or? Uh, I don't you know. can choose the know. ingredients. That's why it's that's your it's your sandwich. <laughs> I will say my favorite. I will say my favorite sandwich is like a summertime heirloom tomato sandwich. Oh Simple. yeah, yeah. So maybe that. Yeah, Let's that's a great. That. That's a great choice. Never have it on a hoagie. Oh yeah, I bet it would still be good. <laughs> be more. Be longer. <laughs> a lot of tomatoes. <laughs> What if you could time travel to any decade? Um, what decade would you choose? 
Oh, wow. Assuming everything about you remains constant. Like, you, uh, it's like the you you are now. Yeah. Can we you know? go in the future or do I have to go in the past? Totally. You can go in the future. Yeah, pass. There's no, <laughs> I'd go in any of them. It's just fascinating. The idea of like... Something those. that's amazing to me is that I asked you not to ask follow-up questions and not only did you do that you then further disrespected the game by (laughs) refusing to answer fuck this game (laughs) (laughs) let me get a follow-up and let me let you know i don't want to (laughs) answer and (laughs) okay what is your favorite music venue to play at oh um there are different different ones one of my favorites red rocks though it's pretty magical oh yeah yeah it's pretty magical what is your favorite dessert? Ice cream. That's easy. Great. What flavor? Uh, pass. I will. Okay. I refuse to commit. <laughs> if you could have written one song, like if there's one song you wish you had written, uh, what would it be? Uh, man. Pass. Too many. There's too many. Okay. This is the last. Oh no. Two more. What is your uh, deepest pet peeve? Sorry, this is a very slow lightning round. <laughs> so, uh, the show has gone off the rails. I, I don't even know if we're going to be able to share yeah, it. Okay, the final lightning round question. What do you want done with your body after you die? Who gives a shit? I'll be dead. <laughs> That's uh, a good answer. I'd probably, I'd probably, probably be cremated. Okay. And I'll leave it up to my people who care. Sensible. Yeah. Sam Beam, thank you so much thank for you, coming Lizzie. on Basic Folk. It has been so fun always great to talk to you you too everybody listen to the live album who can see forever do it do it okay see you Lizzie This episode of Basic Folk was produced by C.J. Nungesser, our music composed by Alex Stanton. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there. You can search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk. You can check us out wherever you get podcasts, or you can go to our website, basicfolk.com. If you liked this episode, I recommend that you share it with one of your in-laws that you've struggled to connect with. Like, you're trying so hard to, like, be accepted in your family and this one person you just can't crack send them this basic folk episode they're gonna think you're the coolest i wish you'd given me a trigger warning lizzie (laughs) sherry (laughs) all right we'll talk to you next time oh it's all right we're all healing we're all healing and growing and holding each other all right we'll talk to you next time um bye bye